Welcome to Your Church and the Law, a special edition of the Minister's Friend podcast with John Kimball and our guest, David Bedanza. The Minister's Friend is a podcast helping pastors and other church leaders navigate the challenges of leading the flock. This special series of 12 podcast episodes is offered to help you and your congregation learn about and to think through some really critical legal considerations facing churches in today's America. Our guest is David Bedanza, a pastor and attorney in Massachusetts who specializes in church law. Welcome to Episode 2 of Your Church and the Law. Many local churches never think about their Articles of Incorporation because most churches were established a long time ago. But even if yours is not a recent church plant, there are still important things to consider. In this second segment of my interview with pastor and attorney Dave Bedanza, we talk about how good Articles of Incorporation help a church to stay in its lane. Well, uh, David, we have a, a, a list of different things. Um, you know, we've had uh, various people ask questions, uh, in some cases church planters asking questions about getting started. In other cases, we have uh, some churches that are on the other end of the spectrum that they're they're wondering if their church is going to survive and you know what the legal ramifications are of that. So it's quite a quite a vast spectrum of things to talk about. But why don't we you know start sequentially and and let's talk about incorporating a church? Uh, I know that varies a little bit from state to state, but um, what what does it mean for a church to 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 incorporate? All right, and and just to be sure. Uh, the podcast that we're presenting is legal information as yes. opposed to legal advice. <laughs> that's that's my disclaimer. Right. And that simply means that, of course, I am giving general principles to people. Hopefully they're helpful, but not advice that is, you know, principles applied to facts and right. circumstances. Right. But incorporation is an important thing. I think everything should be decently done in order. And there are aspects of incorporation that sort of jump out for a church. The first one is this, its name. In most states, you do not have to use incorporated after the church's name for obvious reasons. Mm-hmm. And so I would encourage churches that if you don't have to, that you don't. So that your name matches exactly the name on record at the Secretary of State's office in your state. Then one of the seminal things, and I'm going to quote Lee Iacocca. Really? Okay. <laughs> the most important thing is to keep the most important thing the most important thing. Amen. <laughs> so I believe that in your articles of organization, in some states called a certificate of incorporation, that the first thing that you say is this. What is the purposes of this organization? To proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. You know, and um, there's a reason for that. First of all, because that's what we're supposed to do. But secondly, if your article's purposes are filled with the gospel, you'll be a whole lot safer. You'll be staying in your lane and doing what you're supposed to do and not going into the lane of the world and exposing yourself to risk heartache liability. 
How, how does that how does that keep you safer as a church to have that overtly stated in your in your articles of incorporation? The the courts are very reluctant to deal with matters concerning religion, concerning matters of how your church is operated. But when the church steps out and gets into secular matters, then the, the court would be more willing to get involved with your, um, you know, secular mm-hmm. operation. I guess an example was good. This is a, this is a crazy thing. Mm-hmm. Um, some years ago, many, many years ago, I represented a church that was being sued by a former parishioner who wanted his offerings back. Really? Yes. <laughs> um, he said his allegation was that they promised that he would be blessed if he gave and he gave and he wasn't blessed. So he mm. was defrauded. That was the <laughs> argument. Oh my goodness. So we went to court and of course um, it was a lot easier defending them for lots of reasons. But one of the reasons is because it's unconstitutional for the courts to involve themselves in matters of Christian doctrine. Hmm. You know, the proposition is, if you give to God, will you be blessed in your life? That's a biblical proposition, you know, Mm -hmm. and that's something that the court will not concern itself with. Um, There are other things they could have said, like, if you give, you're going to get, you know, you're going to become a deacon in this church tomorrow. Mm-hmm. That's kind of a different proposition than a biblical one. Yeah, yeah. And so um, that's really the basis of making that statement. But I think another aspect of this, and it's important, especially for church plants or replants, is church members or no church members. That's a um, kind of an interesting question. The reason being is that in a nonprofit organization, official members are like shareholders in a sense. Mm-hmm. Now, some replants and some plants don't want to get bogged down with congregational meetings at the outset until that church is of sufficient maturity. Mm-hmm. If you have members, however, you know, in, in the corporate legal sense, then you'll have to specify what they vote on, you know, mm-hmm. and that's a, one of the age old f- uh, yeah. fun things about congregationalism. Right. I, uh, early on, I painted the doors on the church white and then it's dark green. And I saw a Facebook post oh, about an hour later and, um, <laughs> Someone said, did we vote on this? Oh, my goodness. <laughs> I knew there was trouble. To find. <laughs> yes. But if the congregation is going to be voting on painting the doors or, you know, changing light bulbs and such, you're in for trouble. <laughs> Amen. So, <laughs> so in any event, that's, a you know, an interesting question. I, I have... I favor that a church has members because a church does have members. Right. But legal members, I guess, is what I'm getting at. 
And then, you know, there's a, another part of this that's so important. Be sure that your corporate form actually serves your church polity. Amen. We have so many times de jure and de facto, meaning we have articles of organization that say one thing, bylaws that say another, and the church operates in quite another manner. That is all ripe for problems. Yes. It really is. So um, make your corporate form, you know, serve and support the way you really want to operate and do it that way. So this, this raises a question for me. Um, as a church plant currently, and of course we're, we're way beyond this particular dialogue where we are, but um, I was offered within the first two months of being here on site in Florida, um, basically what I would call a church in a box situation. Uh, what are your thoughts about that, about just you know, filling in some blanks and there's your incorporation papers? Very dangerous, really is. Um, they, that's out there, and it's so generalized that it usually is not, it, it's fraught with problem. Mm-hmm. And you can do that. You know, it's, um, there's certain organizations that are out there, national organizations that are offering like a vanilla type of um, yes. corporation system. And it, it doesn't account for the idiosyncrasies of a church. It doesn't account for really the idiosyncrasies of the state in which you're located. Wow. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm glad to have asked that question because it was very enticing to go the cheap and easy way when we were just starting out. And, uh, you know, I asked the question of, of a lawyer friend of mine and they said, basically the same thing you said is, ah, I wouldn't do that. (laughs) So we went ahead and we, we paid for a lawyer to, to put ours together and they're, they're basic, but they really do. Uh, He asked some questions specifically about the congregation and he knew Florida law. And so, you know, it, it put those, those two things together so that it really was a, very basic, but very correct, uh, applicable articles of incorporation for us. Yes. And then I think, you know, one of the things that you want to do, and this goes along with the de jure, de facto, is literally specify in your articles of organization who is who. What I mean by that is this. Most states are looking for two things. They don't care what you call your pastor. They don't care what you call your chairman, your moderator. They don't really want to get involved. But they want to know who your president, treasurer, and secretary are. And they want to know that particular board that has the power of directors. Yes. Now, when you're in a church setting, I could throw a dart at who directors are. Are they the elders? Are they the deacons? Are they the trustees? Are they some other committee or board that has a fancy name? Church council, leadership committee. But you need to specify so that when legal matters are are happening, 
someone can go to the state, look at your articles of organization and say, yes, this particular body has the power of directors. I had a situation once where a church conveyed its property, but no one was sure who the directors were and had the oh power. Oh, goodness. And it engendered a couple years of litigation. Oh, really wow. Bitter, bitter litigation. And so, you know, who's the president of the organization? Is it the pastor or is it the moderator? Sometimes churches have moderators, and those moderators serve the role of, pa of president. Sometimes the pastor does. Maybe an executive pastor does. But the world shouldn't have to guess as to who is on what base, you know, who's who. Yeah. Amen. And in the state of Florida, I don't know if this is true in other states, but we actually have to report every May 1st, we have to report who those officers are and update our, our record with the state every single year. And it's funny, in some states like Massachusetts, you never have to do that. And so you go to these church, uh, you know, organizations, and you look at the officers and directors and they were dead 50 years ago, you know? <laughs> oh, my goodness. <laughs> so even if you don't have to do something, sometimes it's a good thing to do it, especially if you're poised to purchase property or take out yes. loans, yeah. those kind of things. Yeah. And I would imagine along the lines of this dialogue, it's also important for your constitution and bylaws to jive with your articles of incorporation on those points. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. And then, of course, you, you want to prepare yourself, I think, um, for tax-exempt status, which we can talk about in a moment. But some of the um, provisions that you'll need, good provisions, I think, mm -hmm. in uh, Articles of Organization is uh, no private annulment. And what that means is the IRS, if you seek tax-exempt status, will want to know that um, people are not profiting from this organization other than, you know, what is just and proper, like compensation, mm -hmm. that type of thing. And like when a church dissolves, it doesn't mean we sell the whole thing and split it up, you know? That's right. <laughs> you know, and just, just so our listeners understand, that's not an unusual thought process for churches that are closing. Indeed. And so the, the church is not owned by anybody, you know? It's not a for-profit uh, for, for organization. It's not a business corporation. The other thing that gets people a little nervous is the no political lobbying uh, clause that a church needs. Mm -hmm. And I think if we understand it correctly, it's not problematic. And that is the pastor and individuals in the church never lose their ability to speak about political issues, to speak about political candidates, but the church itself um, cannot take an official position on these matters, um, on, on political lobbying, for instance. Um, that's really nuanced, but I think as a pastor, and I think John, you'll agree with me, if somebody said, you know, you must vote for so-and-so, and if you right. don't, it's right. a sin. Right. I think you're in really difficult waters. As I've seen, you know, if just looking at social media, people that are solid Christians may be in support of a candidate that really would surprise you. 
And so, you know, we don't really go there. And right. um, not going there preserves your tax-exempt status. There is some great nuance there, I think, that is, you know, pretty deep, probably beyond our present discussion. But um, suffice it to say, I don't think anybody should be worried about preaching the gospel and also preaching on the great moral issues of our day. Right. right. You know? Thanks for joining us for this special episode in the series, Your Church and the Law, from the Minister's Friend podcast. We hope it was a blessing to you. There are 12 topical episodes in this special series. Be sure to listen to the others. They're available on all the major podcast platforms. The content of this podcast is for informational purposes only. It is not legal advice. If you have questions concerning how these topics relate to you and your congregation, please see an attorney who is licensed to practice law in your state. Thanks again for joining us. May God bless you and your church family with great fruit for his kingdom.